0: Okay. Uh, before I start here, I thought I would read, um, I was reading, this is actually last night, late last night I was reading this book here on uh, the tabernacle written in the, six, in the 1800s. When was it first? It doesn't say when it was first published, but I think the guy Henry Sol, Soltau, or whatever his name is, he's a Brit, um, was born in like eighteen ten i 'm not sure when he wrote the book, but uh, I was reading through it and um, and lo and behold, I found this paragraph that I thought you remember for those of you who aren 't aware uh, we 've been we 've been talking uh, and i 'm moving on from that this week but i 've been talking for the last three weeks that I shared about uh, um, about what I call the school of Christ and, and how the Spirit of God, if He's going to teach your soul, He's going to teach you um, that the order of true spiritual growth and progression is, is contrary to, to how you might naturally think. In fact, absolutely contrary. It is death, heaven, and then earth and that 's what we kind of talked about for the last three three weeks at first, you face crucifixion with Christ, first you are crucified with Christ, baptized into his death, then uh, then you are raised up and seated with him in the heavens, and then what is what is a reality of, of spirit and truth and heavenly relationship and reality becomes manifest in the earth and then, and so the order is death, heaven, and, and earth and and, and, it's, and we have the order backwards, I think so much in the church we have this. Earth, death, heaven—thing that we think—and um, and I know that it sounds ludicrous. And I and I went through a lot of scriptures, and and we talked about that. And if you missed it, um, you can get the recording. But uh, anyway, so I'm reading last night, uh, and and I and I get and I'm reading this book on, on the tabernacle, and which is which is particularly interesting to me that I found it in this book on the tabernacle because uh, the tabernacle is where you look to see divine order. The tabernacle is where you look to see how God lays out the order of how he wants to communicate himself. I mean, everything in the Old Covenant is, but but particularly the tabernacle, you see death first. I mean, there, there's a number of things you can um, you can see there, and I won't go into all that, but, but anyway, this is, a, this is some guy, you know, some guy who was a lawyer who quit his job to write these books, so it says on the back or whatever, but... Um, And he says this, I'm just going to read you this paragraph and I'm going to start my other deal. But here it is that many of the children of God make a mistake through want of a clear perception of the great truth of salvation. The teaching of the spirit of God is, if we may use the expression, from heaven to earth and not from earth to heaven. He would fix our faith steadfastly on the fact that old things are passed away and all things are become new. He would instruct us as to the entire destruction of the flesh in the death of Jesus for us and in our consequent life and resurrection with Christ, risen and glorified, and having fastened our souls on these blessed facts and thus rooted and grounded us in Christ, he would then make these truths to be the practical power of our walk and conduct on earth, so that we come back again to the earth from heaven to walk here below as a heavenly people, following the steps of that blessed one who came forth into the world from the Father. Unhappily, too much of the teaching of the present day is of the reverse order, an attempt to lead to heaven by means of a clean walk on earth, instead of presenting a clean walk on earth as the result of being already seated in heavenly places in Christ. I just thought that was really cool. I uh, very rarely read something that supports something I think. So <laughs> I thought I'd share the one time it happened with all of you. Uh, so, uh, anyway, I was just kind of threw the book in the air, and it's one of those moments, you know. Uh, why I had to throw the book in the air, I'm not sure, but it just kind of sealed the moment for me, you know. <laughs> so, um, Uh, yeah, it, it just reminds me of this time when I watched Growing Pains as a kid. You ever watched that with uh, Mike Seaver? Okay, some of you. All right, so there's this time when Mike Seaver stays home from school because he's sick or he fakes sick, I think. And he re- and, and all of his favorite shows are on during the day while he's at school, and he realizes for the first time that life goes on places where he's not. And he just has this epiphany and he throws this banana that he's eating up in the air and it's just slow motion and he's like having this moment of realization with this banana twirling in the air. Okay, that is nothing. I'm going to cut that out of the recording. It just, it's, I have some of those banana moments sometimes where I just, it seems the only appropriate thing to do is launch something into the air and picture it happening in slow motion. So, uh. I don't know how to segue from that into what I'm going to say today. But uh, I'm going to continue um, with the, the book of Ephesians today, um, Ephesians 3.17, if you want to turn there, if you have your Bibles with you. Um, we've uh, we've taken, like I said, we've taken the last three weeks and we've talked about what I call the school of Christ and, and uh, now we're going to come back to the end of this, this passage here in uh, Ephesians 3, starting, we, 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 did the, we did verse 16, the last time we did Ephesians, we did verse 16, and in the first half of 17, where Paul prays that the believers would be strengthened uh, with might by the Spirit in the inner man, uh, with, with the result that Christ would dwell in their heart by faith, and we, we spent some time looking at that, being, the, the reality of being strengthened with might in the Spirit, I mean, in, in the inner man by the Spirit, And and I want to pick up there today with the second half of verse 15. uh, through It's going to end up being through the end of the chapter. So uh, let me just read here at least the first three verses for now. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does it mean to be rooted and grounded in love? I guess we need to start there. What What does that even mean? What's What is the love of God? My uh, My first inclination when reading a verse uh, like this is always to project. My first and wrong inclination is to project my Uh, understanding of love my experience of natural love onto God or into a verse and then try to make sense of it that way and doing that I would understand this verse to mean something like I need to be grounded in the fact that God loves me or I need to be loving people as I understand God loves people. But I'd like to suggest to you that to be rooted and grounded in the love of God means a whole lot more than that. Um, so, what is the love of God? The love, the love of God is is a whole lot more than the way He feels about you. There, there's a, there's a whole lot of talk in the body of Christ about how God feels uh, for people. You see it on TV if you watch a TV. Uh, I mean, those kind of things. Um, You see it on bumper stickers. uh, You see it on billboards. Uh, But for all the talk about how much God loves, uh, there seem to me to be very few people who are even rooted and grounded in that comprehension of love. It's more kind of a fact that they have to remind themselves of rather than a reality that they find themselves grounded in. But, but what I want to say is that even if you could make yourself perpetually believe something about God's emotions in this regard, you still would not be rooted and grounded in love in the way that Paul is talking about here. The love of God is not known through a belief in or an experience of God's emotions. The love of God is... Is known through receiving and participating in what God has given. In other words, you'll never know how much God loves you if you are unfamiliar with how God loves. In other words, the measure of God's love isn't the measure of his feelings, but is the measure of Christ. Who has been given to the human soul? that's how much God loves you with all that is within me, I know that that is true. God's love is known only when what He has given is comprehended. So the love of God, if I were to put a put a simple working definition on it as much as words can do. Is not just what he feels, but it's what he has given to the human soul. For God so loved the world. For God, in this manner. That word "so" in this manner is a better translation. Thusly, loved the world that he gave. What did he give? Christ. Yes, yes, indeed. But but do you know the the, the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of this that is given? Right here is the love of God. You could. You could say that the love of God is Christ crucified, uh, God granting you a death in his son and a life that is his son as well. The measure of God's love is the measure of God's son. Let that sink into your hearts. The measure of God's love is the measure of God's son. The experience of God's love is the experience of God's son. And so becoming rooted and grounded in God's love is becoming rooted and grounded in what God has given. And that's why this verse falls directly on the heels of the description of how we are empowered by God's Spirit in the inner man, and Christ comes to dwell in our hearts by faith. It picks up right there, and then it says that we, in this way, are are rooted and grounded in what God has given. He has given the Spirit of His Son to be the life of our soul. And this verse is actually quite similar uh, to a verse that I quote all the time from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, where Paul tells us that the Spirit of God has been given in order that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That is, that is knowing the love of God, to know the things that have been freely given to us by God. What is the Spirit showing us? He is showing us the love of God, the things that have been freely given. So you see, your relationship with God is a relationship of unfathomable love. That is true, but that doesn't mean that it is—it is just a relationship where both sides feel certain strong things and and think certain things in certain ways. I, I I know that that natural love is recognized primarily by how a person feels and what a person wants from another, or, or how much a, a, a person wants another. That's love in, in the natural. That's You take the things around you to yourself because you love them. It is this pull towards yourself. But the love of God is not comprehended in what he gets or what he wants from us. It is is comprehended, rather, in what he has given to us. His love is the giving away of himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And again, the measure of that love is, therefore, the measure... Of Christ. And it's in this very same sense that Paul says what he says in Romans 5.5. 5. He says, Now hope, or better translated expectation, does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Spirit whom he has given us. See, here's the exact same thing. Paul says that our expectation never disappoints us. Why? Because the, lo- the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. How? By the Spirit of God. Who he has given us. Do you see how he he defines the love of God here? It is defined by the spirit of God poured out into the human heart. There it is. What's the love of God? He has given himself to your soul in the person of Jesus Christ. How, 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 How much do you recognize or realize or know the love of God? The exact amount that you recognize, realize, and know the son of his love. And so, it is in this love, in this gift, in this Son, that we are coming to be rooted and grounded. It's in Him that we are, what God has given, that we're coming to be rooted and grounded. It's in Him, in Christ, in the heavens, sanctified in the truth, aware of our true state of being. We're planted by God into His Son. And there, through the true knowing of Him, through the revealing of Him, through growing In the true knowledge of Him, which is what our verses are going to go on to describe, we put our roots down in heavenly ground. We put our roots down deep. We are rooted and grounded in what is purely heavenly ground. And He becomes then the foundation of all reality and perspective and motivation and life. And there is a difference. There is a difference, friends between a seed laying in the soil and a seed being rooted and grounded in the soil. And there is the same difference between a Christian being in the loving love of God and a Christian being rooted and grounded in the love of God. So we talked the last three Sundays about this, this order that I mentioned before when I was talking about the, this book here, the tabernacle, Death, Heaven, and then Earth. First you're crucified with Christ, baptized into his death. Then you're made alive with him, raised with him, seated with him in the heavens in Christ. You're brought into the person of Christ, into, his, into the Father. You have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. We were saying about it this morning. A heavenly realm, a heavenly reality, heavenly relationship. And then this reality of the heavens, this kingdom of heaven can come on earth even as it is in heaven. Well, this verse is more or less describing what it means to put your roots down where salvation actually has you. To put your roots down in where where God has brought you in his son. So this isn't simply believing what God has done. This is dwelling there. This is being anchored there. Hebrews talks about that. The anchor of the soul beyond the veil. What was beyond the veil? The heavens. The heavens. Living out from there. There's uh, some psalms and prophets. I just wrote down a couple here. Psalms and, and, and uh, prophets who say things like, uh, He shall be like the, the righteous one. shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of, of water that bring forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Or Jeremiah 17. That was the Psalm 1-3. Jeremiah 17:8. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So Paul, Paul, Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 3, and this is a prayer. If you remember, go back a few weeks, what we're actually in the middle of here is, is what Paul's praying. He says, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father. And then he starts to say the reason. Here's what I'm praying about. So Paul's prayer here in Ephesians 3.18 goes on to describe just how this happens. We grow in our spiritual comprehension of the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of this love that surpasses knowledge. You see, what is our comprehension of the love of God? It is, it is really God's view of the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of what he has given to us in and as the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not just learning about God's feelings here. We're not, we're not learning to believe in God's big desire for humans. We're coming to a spirit-given comprehension, comprehension of the immensity Of God's gift of Christ. The height, the depth, the width, the breadth, whatever. We're we're being shown the vastness and the perfection of God's love in Christ. And the language here is very reminiscent of of how God dealt with Abraham and how God dealt with Ezekiel. And I was thinking about this. God, God, uh, you know, he he gives Abraham this, this inheritance, this land, sets him right in the middle of it. And then says Abraham, go look to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. Walk the length and the breadth of it. Genesis thirteen fourteen through seventeen. Ezekiel is shown this perfect temple, and then he's given this measuring rod by an angel, and said, measure it. Measure what? Measure, measure the uh, the house of God. Really, measure. That's what you measure the the breadth and the length and the, and the height and the depth of this of this gift. And he is told to told to then show. The measurements. Show the picture of it to the house of God. This is what God gives. This is what God has given. So, so when we, by the teaching of the Holy Spirit, begin to, to measure the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's gift of Christ, it is then that we begin to occupy what we've been given. We begin to occupy, what, we begin to know the love of God as it is in Christ. It's then that our roots begin to go deep into heavenly ground. We're found in Him. We're anchored in His reality. And it's only then, as this verse continues, only then that we are filled up to the fullness of God. I know this is hard to hear. Maybe you listen to it again. But, but the measure of God's love is your experience of the height and depth and breadth and width of the sun. And we'll only, know the full, we'll only grow up into the fullness of God if we find ourselves rooted and grounded in what he has given. And so it goes on to say that you might be filled up to the fullness of God. I'm, I'm extremely interested in that, in that phrase. In that phrase. Filled up to the fullness of God. You could say it like this. God's fullness filling up and overtaking every aspect of your soul. And here's the necessary question. How is it? How is it that growing in the spirit-given comprehension of God's indescribable gift causes you to be, causes you to be filled up? with the fullness of God. How is it that that works? How is it that the awareness of this gift causes it to work mightily in you? If you read on in the next two verses here in Ephesians 3.21 and 3.22, you're going to find this little benediction at the end where Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, how? According to the power that works within us. To him be the glory, etc. Paul is talking about the power of God working in the soul. He's describing how this power works in us. It works in us through, it works in us through comprehending the measure, the immensity of God's gift in Christ, the love of God. And so what I'm saying is how, how does knowing Christ, how does knowing Christ in this way Cause you to be filled up with the fullness of God. How does knowing Christ? How does knowing the breadth, the width, the length, the depth? How does how does that truth have have the effect on your soul that you will be filled up to the fullness of God? I've been thinking a lot about that, and I, and I, and recently I've been seeing this more clearly than ever. I've I've been seeing more than that. It works. I've been seeing more than that. It transformed your transformed your soul. I've been coming to to a um, to a clearer view of of why truth works the power of the cross into the human heart. And here it is in a sentence. Knowing the truth will work in you according to the power of the cross because it is showing you what is already real. I've, I've said many things like that over the years but this is becoming more clear. I want to just say that again and, and, and just ask the Lord to make this real. I'm going to give you an analogy in a second but knowing the truth works in you according to the power of the cross because it shows you what is already real. Here, here's an analogy that I've been using for the past couple of weeks. It's kind of sort of developed out of something I said a month or two ago if you've heard this analogy, just uh, listen again. There's a, there's a lot of people here that haven't heard this because I've, I've been using it in, in the Tuesday and Friday night group for the last week. But imagine for a moment that you fell sound asleep on the edge of a 2,000-foot cliff. Unlikely, I grant you, but let's just say that you did. And while you slept deeply, You dreamt. You dreamt of all the plans you had for when you awoke. You dreamed of uh, walking your dog and reading a good book, how you wanted to spend the afternoon, painting your bedroom, uh, whatever. And all of these options were completely viable possibilities for when you awoke. However, while you're still sound asleep, you roll over and you roll right off the edge of the cliff and you begin this 2,000 foot plummet, plunge, whatever, to the bottom of this deep chasm. Now, as long as you remain asleep and unaware of what is real, you can continue to dream all your dreams and make all your afternoon plans and smile in your heart with happy expectation as you unknowingly fall to the earth. Reality has indeed changed. But your awareness of reality has not been affected one bit. But what happens when you begin to awake? What happens when you start to, you know, you're you're opening your eyes? You feel it's gotten kind of windy, you know, as you're, or something, you know, whatever wakes you up. You start to open your eyes, and and something quickly begins to change. And it's as it's as your awareness of what is real. What's actually going on? What's already happened? What is now therefore happening as a result of what has happened? As that begins to dawn on your mind, you begin to become constrained by what you now see to be real. For instance, you may have been planning to take a walk, but suddenly that seems utterly irrelevant. Right? You had it in your heart to paint your bedroom this afternoon. And now that's the furthest thing from your mind. Why? Because the truth of the situation is making its own application to your soul. Reality is displacing dreamland. Options that were real to you as long as you were asleep are no longer options. Ideas, thoughts, emotions, plans, motivations... All of which moved you and affected you and defined you, and your, defined your emotions and, and defined your plans and motivations. All of those things that, that were relevant while you're sleeping are, are, are no longer relevant with regards to what you're now seeing. You're, you're seeing something that is already true, it's already real, and it's unstoppable, regardless of how you might think to the contrary. So it's not like you're waking up and seeing something that might happen or something that you need to try to make happen. No, you're, you're seeing something that did happen. And the consequences are upon you, whether you, whether you want, want them to be or not. Gravity in this situation is not an option. It's not, it's not Isaac Newton's opinion. It's an unchanging, established reality, not open to discussion. You can reject it, but only by pretending that it's not real. I suppose that if this person could somehow force themselves back asleep, they could continue to deceive themselves into defeating gravity, but only until they hit the ground. But if they wanted to open their eyes, it would be a reality that demanded conformity, alignment. And that is exactly what i 'm what i 'm trying to get at here. We just asked the question paul 's talking about being filled up to the fullness of God and, and that comes right on the heels of this statement to know the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of the love of God in Christ. How in the world does that? How does knowing this how does knowing the measure of Christ, the gift of God given to your soul how how does that fill you up to the fullness of god it 's like this cliff thing it, it works your soul comprehending the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ in other words the spirit of God showing you Christ your life is something is really the Lord showing you something that has already happened and you'll see it in the same way the it's already real and the consequences are already upon you whether you've ever opened your eyes or not You're seeing something that already is, the fullness of God. The fullness of God, now it's in you. But it begins to work in you when you become spiritually aware of where you are, what you are, and all of the unspeakable implications of being in Christ. You face it. You don't have an option. You face God's finished eternal purpose. And the power of the cross works in you because it has already been finished by him. Truth brings you into alignment with what he has done. Truth makes things that were once alive in you suddenly irrelevant and dead. Truth causes things that you never noticed before suddenly incredibly relevant. It works. Truth shows you what he has already done. How did I say it back here and said it was important to I said uh, something. It's something like truth uh, works the power of the cross in us by showing you what God has already done, but now I can't find it in my notes. But that's what I'm saying. The power of the cross works in you because it has already been finished by him. And I will spend the rest of my life discovering the reality of that sentence. And if I grow in the truth, the power of the cross will work in me because it has already been finished by him. And as, as he wakes up, this man, this man that's falling off the cliff will quickly find that his soul, quite effortlessly, his emotions, his plans, his thoughts, his motivations begin to fall in line with something that has already happened. The consequences of what has happened are now constraining him. Nothing has to be done except for him to become aware of what, of what has been done. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at? No? Okay. Um, it's the same thing with us. What has been done... For us in Christ, the fullness of God, it is upon us, it is in us. It is, it is what you received when you were born again, whether or not you opened your eyes, whether or not you continue to grow in the true knowledge of God. Obviously, you saw something of it when you were born again, but regardless of whether you just opened your eyes for a second and then closed them again, the fullness of what God has done in Christ is upon you. He is our life. It is finished. The consequences are already there, and you will be filled up with the fullness of that reality when you become aware of what God has done. The variable is never related to what God has done. The variable is always related to the extent to which you and I are desiring to have our eyes open. And really, in what world do we desire to be rooted and grounded? And with that, I'd like to, I'd like to say a few things today on a more uh, on a more personal note as well, and just kind of end with with uh, some some thoughts uh, having to do with this reality of being filled up with the fullness of God. But I, but before I say that, I just want to stress what I've just said. I, I know it's hard to hear, um, and and, it, and it's um, I just want to encourage you to, to spend some time looking at, at what I just said that the measure of god 's love is the measure of Christ, and that to know the measure of Christ works in you the fullness of God. those things fall in that order in paul 's epistle for a reason for a very important reason but but again, I said I was um, I said I was very interested in this phrase the fullness of God and i 'm going to get a little a little more personal here. Um, I've had, I've had uh, uh, that, if not that phrase, then that concept, uh, on my mind a lot, uh, being filled with the fullness of God. And um, and I want to I want to share some things that have to do with, with that and have to do with finishing what we've started, both individually and as a um, as a as a fellowship here. And I'm going to try to describe this, and I know for a fact that, that many will misunderstand what I'm talking about. I just know that. Uh, but then there are those that won't. Uh, it seems to me that, that after a heart really sees the Lord for the first time, that there is, there is kind of a celebration of reality that, that takes place in the soul, and it affects all things. I'm not really talking about here when you first come to, to Christ, although there certainly is a seeing of Christ involved in that. I'm speaking more um, to, to those who have, um, who have begun a, a spirit-given realization of the cross. And it shocks you with reality. It's like a reality brick being thrown at your house of cards. And, and nothing, nothing will ever be the same, and many of you know what i 'm talking about, I'm talking about seeing Christ and him crucified, and all that that means and, and it 's real and it 's powerful and wonderful and, and because it 's just so big there 's never a thought in the beginning of turning your heart away in the natural someone I think it was Milo compared it to uh, in one of our groups, falling in love you know it, it's um, it 's such a huge thing to the soul that wherever you find love. Uh, I'm sorry. Wherever you find yourself, there is the love. You know, it's it, your heart generally stays fixed in the same spot, no matter where you, no matter where you go. But like with falling in love, things have a way of appearing different uh, with time, and sooner or later, the confetti starts to kind of settle into the earth. You know, and and I'm not talking about doubting what you've seen, and I'm not talking about turning away from the truth. Christ remains real to you. You know what you saw. But then there is this fact that you're still in a body and you still have a job and kids and hobbies and all of that is still very present. And you find yourself at various times trying to decide what to make life about, you know, while you're still here. I mean, the cross has taken spiritual relevance out of natural things. But nevertheless, there are all these natural things around you for the foreseeable future. It's almost like after such an um, incredible encounter with the truth of God's work in Christ that there's now this division that you understand. It's a clearer vision than you've ever had between what is natural and what is spiritual. And that division, uh, is, is, uh, it's changed the way you've seen things. You used to think, for instance, that God's purpose had to do with what you did in your job. Now you realize that God's purpose is not what you do, but whose life is working in you in all that you do. You used to think that God was concerned that you wouldn't waste your giftings. Now you realize that your gifting and your entire life is wasted if He is not the source and the life working through, through you in all things. This division. And that much is good. But, th- but then comes this thought that, that um, as long as I can recognize what is and what isn't the Lord, then it's all right for me to give my heart. To the earth, and we don't actually say it like that. No one says it like that. We say it more like this: We say, "I know now that God really isn't in this thing that I'm giving my heart to, but knowing that makes it safe." Or, or, or we say, "Sure, this isn't spiritual, but I'm not pretending that it is." And, and uh, this is kind of the spot where I, I know that i 'm going to be misunderstood, so tune me out if, if you get confused and then um, tune back in when everyone starts leaving but um i'm not i 'm not talking about the things that are that are necessary because you have a body i 'm not talking about going to work and brushing your teeth and mowing your lawn i 'm talking about the focus of the heart i 'm talking about where you are looking for gain and benefit and satisfaction the object of your heart the ambitions of your heart i'm talking about where you're sowing your seeds and where you're looking where you're expecting the harvest i'm talking about where you look when you look at your life what you think when you think of your day what you plan when you look ahead sure you know christ is your life yes the cross is unfathomably more real and powerful than 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 you ever thought but but where are the thoughts of your mind, the desires of your hearts, the purposes, the purposes for this week, the enjoyment of your soul? What fills your thoughts when you drive your car? What's on your mind when you lay awake in bed? What plans enter your heart when you wake up in the morning? What do you want out of the relationships that you're in? Three, uh, three specific times... This, this year that just came to mind as I was writing this. Three different things in this past year presented themselves to my heart and not, not, not anything that anyone would call sinful. In fact, each of them was something that, that most would call useful or practical or even helpful. These are not bad things I'm talking about here. I came to, 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 um, I came to see each one of them as death as death in disguise because because in them there was nothing of Christ and everything of gain for myself. And in each case, I welcomed them into my life, not realizing what I had done until my heart had lost perspective and I found myself extremely interested in something other than being filled up with the fullness of God. And I'm not going to tell you what those things were because it doesn't matter what they were. Nothing is wrong as a thing. But everything is wrong if it works in your heart towards a purpose other than being filled up with the fullness of God. Paul says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. All things are permissible, but I will be mastered by nothing. And you know how Paul kind of called a spade a spade. We all like to admire that about Paul. I'm not sure we all like to live uh, in his church but you've read, you've read, you've read him just blurting out things like, "Who has bewitched you?" You know, or um, I can tell you're still carnal. Or I wish I could give you uh, meat, but you still are in need of milk. By now, you should be teachers. Or when he just stands up and rebukes Peter to his face in front of all of the leaders from Jerusalem that had come up with Peter. I mean, I've always wanted, and, and especially now, to be. A part of a people who would do that with one another um, to be a part of a people who who could look each other in the face and without regard to the to the uh, bristling of the flesh or the temporary awkwardness of the situation, just say the truth simply because it's true and I'm sure it sounds better than it feels, but i but I wish that we didn't have such long fleshy toes that that are so easy to step on. I was thinking that offense is the most natural human emotion because it's how the flesh always responds to truth. Nevertheless, I want to say to to myself and I want to say to you who are my friends and my family in the Lord that everything other than Christ does not deserve your heart. And if we're finding gain and goal and purpose or life anywhere but in Him and in sharing Him with those who are His body, then we have found a path that does not lead to the fullness of life. And we must not allow it because it's living a lie. And that's a fact. We cannot, as individuals, or as a congregation who is seeking to know the cross, we cannot be a people that talk about the truth. My greatest nightmare would be to stand before the Lord and be known by him as the man who talked about the cross. Our message is not words. Our gospel is not a message. It is a person who, if if you'll allow it, He will whittle your your world down to just one thing. If you'll let him. And in that one thing, you'll find all things. But sooner or later, everything else needs to appear to you as it already does to him. All efforts, all goals must be thoroughly and permanently fixed in one direction and towards one end. Knowing the Lord, knowing the Lord, in the way that these verses today describe. Knowing the measure of Christ. Knowing the measure of Christ. The breadth, the length, the height, the depth of what God has deposited into the soul of man in the person of Christ, as the person of Christ. Everything else, if it has your heart, amounts to a monumental waste of time. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time this morning qualifying that. Sometimes I feel like I qualify things so much that I rob them of their God-intended offense. If you want to hear offensive words, then listen to these. James 4.4 Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Luke 16.15, And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Luke 16.13, No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Which is unfortunately sometimes translated wealth or riches, but it really just means any kind of natural gain. So I was just thinking, you know, it's kind of, I had these waves of sobriety come over me, uh, spiritual sobriety, uh, sometimes, and and, uh, and it just it just works in me to want to just come on, let's just let's just say it, let's just get this thing said, you know, we, we can then we can pretend if we want to pretend, but. If, Let's at least just, while we're together, while we're while we're gathered together as His body, let's just let's just say the truth. What's the truth? Truth is God has you in His Son for one purpose. That's it. And so sometimes I, 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 I you know, like I said, I, I spend I spend a lot of time, you know, in preparing sermons, trying to present the truth. In a way that that minimizes the collateral damage, you know, minimizes the, the um, minimizes the uh, offense. Well, minimizes the offense and highlights the truth, and and, and, and then and then sometimes I feel rebuked of the Lord. What are you doing, Jason? What are you what are you trying to do, man? I mean. When did I do that? If it's true, it's true. We might as well face into it. And I, and I don't want, I don't, I don't want, and I, I don't fear this. Honestly, I don't fear it for our congregation, but it is a definite possibility that we as a people who are growing in the true knowledge of the cross can become a people who have a message. And this kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. A people who have a good cross message. Just blow up the church. I mean, seriously. The world doesn't need a good cross message, it needs Christ. I don't need a good cross message. I need Christ working in the cross in my soul to the displacement of everything else. And so we have this opportunity here, and not just here, but wherever the cross is preached, we have this opportunity to really know God and to be fully occupied with sharing his life and his light with one another. And that, that is so huge. I mean, we talk about that all the time. It almost doesn't even, doesn't even spark our curiosity. But, but that, is the big, that, is, that, is, that is what angels long to look into. And so if the confetti is settled in your soul, it's time to call out to the Father to reveal his Son in you. It's time to make decisions in the earth that are conducive to putting down roots in the heavens. It's time we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, and look not to what is seen, but what is unseen. To fight the fight of faith, to contend earnestly for the faith, as Jude says, to walk to walk the breadth and the, and the width and the length of the land that we've been given that's called Christ. I think it's safe to say we, we ought to be people obsessed with being filled up to the fullness of God So, I know that's kind of heavy but there you go, amen let's just pray Lord I just uh, I just you know you don't you don't really care a whole lot what I say In in a prayer you care what my heart will let you do and so, God, my, my prayer is that our prayer this morning won't be words, but will be the yielding of our, of our soul to, to the knowing of your Son. Words are words. But what you're looking for is a heart that will bear the decrease, that will bear the truth of the cross, that will be displaced by the truth. You're looking for a people who will walk the breadth and the width of this land, who will look to the north and the south and the east and the west to know what you have given, to know the love of God. The love of God is what you have given. You have given us your Son. And if we remain ignorant of that gift, if we remain ignorant of that Son, then we have missed the purpose for which you have loved the world. God, I I ask you for just a real spiritual sobriety in the hearts of people. Not condemnation, for goodness sake. If you're feeling condemnation, just just flush it, dismiss it. Condemnation doesn't even make sense in light of the cross. But what does is purpose. Purpose. Eternal purpose. Father, I pray that this purpose would be uh, made substance in our hearts, substance in the soul. And I ask you to reveal your Son as the life of your body, the church, and that we who are in him and we who have him in us would know the gift of God the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of it. And that we as a people would not let the confetti settle. So I just want to leave that with you. And Lord, I ask you to make this real in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.